Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. So, love languages, love languages. Gary Chapman is very famous for the love languages. He has five that he talks about, and they are the words of affirmation. They are quality time, physical touch, acts of service. And in addition to those, he also includes receiving gifts. So, words of affirmation, quality time, physical touch, acts of service, and receiving gifts. Now, Justin Swihart, who wrote quite a number of years before Mr. Chapman, he actually had eight love languages. He had meeting material needs. He had helping each other. He had, in addition to helping each other and meeting material needs, spending time together, meeting emotional needs. He also said that he wanted love languages to include saying it with words. It's like the old expression that you've heard time and time again, share the gospel if necessary, use words, which is as silly as saying, go ahead and nourish yourself if necessary, use food. But saying it with touch, saying it with words, saying it with touch, and then being on the same side. For some people, that's really an important way of communicating love and affection. Well, I would like to introduce some lesser-known love languages to our class. The five love languages of the NFL. The NFL Browns love languages. Acts of service. I turned on the Browns game for you. Quality time. Do you want to watch the Browns game with me? Words of affirmation. I love you as much as I love the Browns. Gifts. I got tickets to the Browns game. Physical touch. High-fiving each other after a Browns touchdown. And then, of course, there are the five languages of tacos. Words of affirmation. Your tacos are delicious. Acts of service. I made you tacos. Receiving gifts. Here's a taco. Quality time. Let's go out for tacos together. Or physical touch. Let me hold you like a taco. <laughs> I'll demonstrate this after class, uh, uh, and Caleb will be my assistant in that. <laughs> of course, there are the lesser-known love languages, like sharing salty cheese snacks, in which this young woman is saying, marry me now. Or there is lasagna making. That's one of my favorite love languages. But of course, my love languages are filled cookie jars. That's my love language. Now, while there is some truth to how people feel warm, loved, and appreciated, it is very important that we know and understand each other enough to anticipate these preferences, to go out of our way to please and delight the object of our affections. While there are many aspects of communication, verbally spoken words are the most commonly identified and practical method for transferring information between one another. Today, each of you may feel that the communications are going well. Outsiders see and remark that the way you consistently communicate is the lifeblood of a solid relationship. Right, Steve? <laughs> you didn't see this, but Valerie just elbowed Steve. Um, and unfortunately, you know, while some people say, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, it's not the case in every relationship, is it? Perhaps in contrast to what we've described, 
so far. In the past, you've talked about everything you shared with one another freely. You were able to be lovingly honest about what you think and how you feel. Each of you fully believed that you were listened to, heard, respected. And any disagreements were met with discussion without being hurt or defensively attacking one another. Well, that's not the way it was, and it may not be the way it is. Carol King, it used to be so easy living here with you. You were light and breezy, and I knew just what to do. Now you look so unhappy, and I feel like a fool. It's too late, baby. It's just too late. Disc, a five-piece Madison, Wisconsin band, said it this way. Can you hear me? Understand what I said? I don't know that you understand the way I felt. You come near me. Could you hear what I said? Can you hear me? I don't know what I said. And then the Fab Four from England, try to see it my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can't go on? While you see it your way. Run the risk of knowing that our love will soon be gone. We can work it out. We can work it out. And the Beatles said, all you need is love. And then they broke up. Most marriage counselors will agree that a breakdown of communications is almost always involved in marital dysfunction. Ineffective communication has disastrous results. Issues remain unclarified. Wrong ideas stay uncorrected. Conflicts and misunderstandings are perpetuated in deep unity, emotional closeness, and intimacy are all hindered. You hear people say things like, we don't seem to have anything to talk about, and when we do communicate, it often ends in disaster. We just don't seem to be on the same wavelength anymore. R.C. Sproul has a wonderful quote. He says this, Communication is not always easy. It involves work, pain, sensitivity, patience, and great care. Communicating is often a burdensome task, but a task that must be accomplished for a marriage to be complete. When communication falters, the marriage is in trouble. When it fails altogether, the marriage is virtually doomed. Communication is, above all, a means of knowing. If in marriage, it means simply the knowing of two people. The goal of communication is knowledge, not abstract, theoretical, impersonal knowledge, but personal knowledge, the knowledge of intimacy. A man was driving along the highway, and he noticed a little light on his instrument panel. This red warning light marked oil, was flashing. He ignored it, even though the manual in his glove box said that if that was happening, he needed to pull the car over and immediately get it serviced. But it kept flashing. He tried tapping it. He turned the car on. He turned the car off. He... But it kept flashing. Well, he was, got so frustrated with it, he pulled out a hammer and he smashed that little light until it stopped. He was peaceful at last, and he continued on his euphoric trip until the car burned up. Well, the illustration is obvious. Communication is something critically important, and it can't be ignored or avoided 
Because if you do, it'll mount to explosive consequences. Communication problems can't be denied and can't be retreated into elusive dreams. And it's not just you, it's a universal issue. Consider the reality and fall and the impact on how couples address each other and how they talk to each other. Richard D. Phillips in the book The Masculine Mandate, God's Calling to Men, says this, God's curse on the man draws him unwholesomely away from the woman, even as God's curse on woman draws her unwholesomely toward the man. That is why most marital counseling sessions have some variation on the theme of the wife saying, you don't pay any attention to me. Or the husband saying, you are too demanding and nag too much. Because of sin, God has cursed the marriage relationship with a poisonous desire for control by one and a self-absorbed focus outside the relationship for the other. Still, there is hope. There is hope. Since marriage is designed to be an intimate relationship, it's not surprising that God's Word provides a lot of teaching about communication that can strengthen our relationships, our marriages. Verbal and nonverbal signals are addressed. Directions on when, where, if, and how to speak are all covered by the treasure of God's Word. Well, so let's dive in. Let's dive in now as we work on protecting and enhancing the treasure that is our marriage and relationships. So, first participatory question of the day. What are the most problem, what are the most common problems in communication? Now, you can talk about somebody else, and that's fine. Or you can talk about an issue that you and your beloved run into every now and then. What are the most common problems? Misunderstanding the issue at hand. Good. What else? Definitions. Definitions. Yeah. You can be using the same word. Right. What else? Fear of how the other person will react, especially if that other person is a hothead. Yeah. Yeah, you have to understand me and <laughs> not concerned about it. All right. So, who started it? What's the root of this problem? What is the root of the problem? You walk into a room where two children are wailing away on each other. It's a clash of the titans with both verbal and physical blows being exchanged like a tornado ripping through a paper shack. After shouting, stop this right now, the first response you can expect is what? He started it, right? Well, we know that someone may have pressed some buttons first, but the fruit of rotten communication has rotten roots. And so we go to a very familiar passage, James 4.1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is the source not your pleasures that wage war in your body? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. We can't say, well, that's not what I meant to say, or I didn't think before I spoke. You can say that, but our main problem is that our words are expressing what's in our hearts. If our heart doesn't change, our main problem is that our words are expressing what's in our hearts. 
Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's not because of the reaction of the speaking, person speaking with us, even if it's sarcastic, demeaning, condescending, or defensive, but that we are not getting what we want in the exchange. So, on your papers, you'll see a little exercise, a root inspection exercise. And if you don't have paper, uh, they're on the back on the little white offering boxes. So, look at your last communication problem. And you don't have to focus on this right now, but I'd like, this is going to be part of the homework. Sometimes when I ask for an example, it's tough to think immediately of an example. But, what was the last conflict about? Next, not only what was it about, but with whom did you have the problem? Who is the antagonist? Well, they start, well, yeah, we know that. We know that. They started it. And here's the most important question. What were you not getting in that exchange? Now, another way to answer that question is what's most important in your life? Is it to be respected? Is it for someone to immediately accept what you're saying as reality? No questions? I'm actually counseling a, uh, a couple right now. There's been a, a filing for divorce. And the one party is saying just that. I want you to listen to me. I want you to do what I say. I don't want to have any questions. That's it. Cuts off communication pretty quickly. Look at the list there. Look at the list. What you're missing, what you're not getting. You're not being taken seriously. Your opinion is not being respected. Is the person doing reflective listening, active listening? Is there empathy? Is there sympathy? Is there approval? You're not getting the approval you want. You're not getting someone to automatically agree with you. For some reason, they have to think about it. You know, the other person is jumping to conclusions. So, again, this is part of the homework. I'd like you to take that home, think about it. And what is the root cause? What is the root inspection going to reveal? Now, as we talk about these things, what scripture verses or biblical principles do you call to mind concerning communication? Again, this is a participatory question. I really don't prefer to be a talking head in the class. What biblical principles of communication come to your mind? That's a good answer. Not exactly what I'm looking for, but... I'm sorry? Say it again, Nate. Okay, listen before you hear. The first status case seems just, but that another comes along, another principle... You may be only getting one side of the story. If those of you who are involved in counseling, you really want to listen to that one. What else? What are the biblical principles of communication? A gentle answer turns away wrath. Am I willing to be a peacemaker? Or am I going to become quickly defensive? What else? You see? One more time. Love covers a multitude of sins. You know, back when I was a boy, um, 
we had these things called telephones that were permanently mounted to the wall. <clears throat> Occasionally, there were things called party lines. You would pick up the phone, and you'd hear somebody else talking. You'd have to wait until they get off. And then, yes, yes, that's what I did, Nate. I would crank the uh, magneto on the side of the phone, and I'd get Mabel down at Central, and she'd plug the wires in for us. But rarely, if ever, did you get disconnected. How many of you regularly, truly get disconnected when you're on your cell phone? And it's not like, oh, that, that, I'm, I'm going into a tunnel. We all get disconnected now, right? And that's what happens in our communications. We all get disconnected. And the problem is, we get disconnected and we say, well, you know, I called right back. Scripture challenges us as believers to communicate more effectively with each other. Men and women are to control their tongues, speak only words of kindness. The book of Proverbs discusses the importance of listening with understanding to others who speak. Jesus admonished his disciples to discuss conflict with a sinning individual and love our neighbor as ourselves. God's word provides many commands and examples of good speech. Today we're going to examine five categories. The first is words matter. Let's be mindful of our words. Do they build up or destroy? Psalm 19:14. Let the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Our very ambition to please and be pleasing to God includes the way we speak. If you and I want to please Christ, we will be mindful of our words. This is especially challenging when a conversation is tense. As we engage with one another in conversation, we need to ask ourselves if the Lord would be pleased with the tone of our words and the words we choose to use with one another. Let's pray together that our conversations become acceptable to God. Colossians 3.8 says this, You must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from our lips. Continuing on, are we building up or destroying? Ephesians 4.29. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only as such as is helpful for building up others according to their needs, according to the need of the moment. I believe King James says, let no, forth, let no corrupt communication come forth from your mouth. The word corrupt is, indicates something that's rotting, either fruit or flesh. You ever come across an animal on your hiking trail? The animal's been rotting there for a while, and that stench is just pungent. It just permeates everything. That's what he's saying. Don't let that sort of thing come out of your mouth. Proverbs 12.18 says it so succinctly when the writer of the Proverbs says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Are the words that I'm using going to bring healing, or are they going to bring pain and wound? Are they going to destroy? Proverbs 15, verse 28, The heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. Proverbs 15.2 is a compliment to that. Proverbs 15.2 says this. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge pleasant, but the mouth of fools spouts foolishness. Am I like an uncontrolled madman swinging an axe or a sword without caution or care for the lives at stake? 
do thoughts of collateral damage even cross my mind? I grew up in a violent alcoholic home. The words that were uttered between my parents and between my, my parents and any of their children were absolutely destructive. There was collateral damage. My father would often give me the advice, think before you speak. Am I speaking in such a way that reflects the advice? Do I consider how to best frame or phrase my words? Matthew 12, verse 26, 36, excuse me. Jesus says this, I tell you that for every careless word that people speak, they will give account of it on the day of judgment. Words spoken in secret, whispered, under our breath so that no one hears them. We are accountable for them, never mind the words that like toothpaste out of a tube can't be put back, or a bell that's rung can't be unrung. We need to stop those before they come. I've told people that I've never been drunk and I've never been stoned. All this going on up here, these squirrels juggling knives, that's just organic damage. But one of the reasons why I have refused to allow myself to be intoxicated or taken any mind-altering drugs is because I know what goes on up here that I don't want coming out down here. I don't want to shame Christ, myself, my family. Believe it or not, I actually do have a filter. <laughs> you might find that amazing. Proverbs 25, verse 11 says it so well. Like apples of gold and settings of silver, it's a word spoken at the right time. The timing is critically important. The timing is critically important. Moving on. By the way, I think we may need to replace the battery in this clicker, guys. Uh, Colossians 4, 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Be seasoned with salt that you may know how to answer everyone. A complimenting verse in Proverbs 16, verse 23. The heart of the wise makes wisdom acceptable and lips promote instruction. Whether we use them for good or for harm, our words matter. In marriage, in relationships, our words should be used to build each other up, to share our feelings, needs, and dreams with our partner. They should not be used as a weapon. Do your words bring healing? Or are they more like the thrusts of a sword, of a madman? Are they given at the right time? Or at times that might only evoke shame, embarrassment, and tears? Somebody quoted the proverb that we're going to talk about next. In seeking peace, this is the second of the categories. Build up or destroy, the first category. Seeking peace, the second category. Are we seeking peace? Romans 14, 19 says, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Proverbs 15, 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 
Am I venting? Am I just hitting back at someone? Or am I seeking peace? Even if the other person gets angry and upset, am I willing to de-escalate the situation or must I rise up in a defensive and aggressive stance? Third category. Third category. Restraint equals knowledge. Proverbs 10.19 Where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But one who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 17, verse 27. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. And then, of course, what was the advice that Job gave his friends? Remember? Job was sitting there in ashes. He, his skin and his body was irritated so much that he took the ashes from the fire and he had a piece of pottery and he was scraping his skin and putting the ashes on. And his friends came and they were accusing him of all sorts of things. Remember that? What did Job say to his friends? Did Job say, hey guys, this is really great. You're hitting the nail on the head. No. He said, oh, that you would let your silence be your wisdom. And sometimes it's best, gentlemen and ladies, to be quiet. Do not speak. Sometimes that's the best medicine. Restraint equals knowledge. Are you hot-headed? Or are you a cool spirit? It takes self-control to be able to restrain harsh words. We need to be aware of our own emotional states and must be equipped with skills to soothe ourselves and stay engaged with our spouse through those tense moments. Experience and wisdom are the foundation for this cool spirit. There are times when it's best to maintain a quiet, humble, listening spirit. And that leads us to the next category. Listening is communicating. Listening is communicating. Proverbs 18, verse 2. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. And again, in the same chapter, Proverbs 18, 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. The foundation of good communication is active listening. Too many times, we respond to our partner without fully understanding what they are communicating, needing, or sharing. Proverbs says it's our folly to respond before we hear. In order to hear, we must devote our full attention to our partner without distractions. It requires face-to-face -face posture, eye contact, putting down the phone, turning off the idiot box, right? Undistracted attention. That person is more important than whatever we're distracted with. The fifth category, anger. Anger. James 1.19 says this, Know this, my beloved brethren, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Good marital communication involves more than just talking. Two people devoted exclusively to talking will both end up feeling missed, unheard, and undervalued by their partner. From those passages, we see that God's design for communication appears to place a larger focus on hearing than it does on talking. It has been said that the good Lord gave you two ears and one mouth, and I need to take the clue. 
we need to open our ears to what our beloved is saying. Open our ears to how they are saying it and practice speaking less and listening more. So, the James 1.19 passage, but I still don't understand a word you're saying. How do you communicate? This is the last of our participatory questions. And I expect to see lots of hands and lots of answers. How do you communicate differently than the one with whom you're closest? How are your communication styles different? How are your communication expectations different? I'm seeing couples look at each other and smile. Yes, David. Hi, David. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> so I like to answer now, and I like to make quick decisions, and my wife likes to communicate, spending some time thinking about things and making a, an, an educated decision. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those of you who can't hear, uh, and for uh, everyone who listens to this viral uh, uh, recording, uh, <laughs> David is saying that he likes to make decisions now. He likes to talk immediately and get it resolved. But his lovely and oh-so-wise wife likes to think about it and come up with the appropriate right answer, and that may wear on David's patience. David is a man after my own heart, and that's exactly the issue that Kim and I have. Who else? How do you communicate differently? Yes, Kathy. I'm really surprised. I'm really surprised about that. Kathy needs more details. Wow. <laughs> what else? Oh, come on now. You don't all talk the same. Yes. Gotcha. Bo is a verbal processor. He talks out loud. He's talking. He's thinking. And... Uh, you're an internal processor. Okay. So we'll pray for the Johnsons. Okay. How else? How else are you different? The Mackays. Uh huh. <laughs> okay. The Mackays are an international couple. And as such, because uh, Kier Mackay, who is uh, going to be coming. Uh, back from uh, Kenya a little early due to Ebola spreading out. Uh, Kier is so polite and such a great Canadian that he will avoid, he'll, he'll go around the topic and gently introduce it. But uh, his lovely wife goes right to the heart of the matter. Just stop dancing around it, Kier. What is wrong with you? All right, what else? Valerie, did, did you have something? No? Okay, the same, you talked exactly this. Wow, that's great. We're going to pray for the Harrys as well. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry, Caleb? Yes, I should let my silent be my wisdom. Uh, yeah, and yeah, there are times when we talk too much. Well, everyone is uniquely shaped. Yes, I... Mm-hmm. 
Okay, more, more goal, task-oriented, more relationship. Yeah, there's, there are different ways of communicating. Everyone is unique, shaped by a variety of factors, including environment, personality. Some say men are from Mars, women are from... Who knows? Who knows? Who no, no, the answer is <laughs> Venus. <laughs> Penny, uh, Penny, did you hear that? All right. Uh, <laughs> while both are created in the image of God, everyday life and Scripture teaches about the uniqueness of men and women. Men and women are different by design and function. Regardless of current conventional wisdom, well, at least for the next five minutes, because, you know. Differences both physical and emotional and behavioral can be seen. Men and women differ in the way they think, feel, act, and talk. In fact, one of the most striking differences between the sexes is the unique ways that men and women communicate. Differences in ways of talking have been observed in children as young as three years of age about the time language is developed. Some talk to be liked. Others talk to boast. Some make requests. Others make demands. Some evoke harmony, while others prolong conflict. Indirect talking versus direct talking, words versus actions, more or less obvious body languages, regardless of their sex. Boys and girls both want to get their way but they use language differently to get it. Are you, are you laughing at each other? No. <laughs> good, good. That's good. Uh, well, why do I bring this up? Well, specifically, it is essential that we observe, discover, learn, adapt, and respect the way that our partner communicates. You can't escape this, brother. Yeah, you're you're going you're to have homework. So. <laughs> uh, it may, may not be a matter of sin, but it is an opportunity to grow together in love and sensitivity and demonstrate the power and glory of God who brings dissimilar people together in a relationship that magnifies him and demonstrates to the world his power. In the area of communication, we need to remember that different conversational styles are not always bad. Different is simply different. Accept the differences and adjust when needed. In marriage, the husband and wife must understand the way each other communicate. While the husband may have no need to discuss his feelings about a specific situation, the wife may want and need to talk it out. The husband may want to, conflict, uh, to confront conflict while the wife may want to avoid it. When a husband comes home, he may sit in the recliner to relax, but his wife may want to talk about the day. Now, that can be totally different, all right? I am not going to make broad generalizations about all women, or all men. The point is this. You will communicate differently. And it will, at times, cause strife. It's my contention that men should not avoid discussion and communicate with their wives, but instead initiate and appreciate those opportunities. I'm going to ask us all to read what's up on the screen. But I'm going to ask the men specifically to read what's on the screen. So, let's read this together. This is a quote from Richard Phillips, the book, The Masculine Mandate, God's Calling to Men, which book I do recommend. Let's read that together. To be clear, male leadership in marriage does not mean the husband does everything or even that he decides everything. Rather, it means he typically initiates and always leads those shared discussions with his wife in which the various aspects of marriage and family life are decided and planned. 
The wife's opinion is vitally important, and a godly couple should be a close-knit team. But there should be no area of the family life in which the husband does not serve as leader, facilitator, and overseer. So guys, when your wife says we need to talk, don't roll your eyes. Take the leadership role that God has given to you. And I'll lay that at your feet.